Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for joining us today. Coming up on our program, we are going to take a look at the April farm equipment sales numbers. Always a good snapshot of where we are with the ag economy and what the trends are developing there. We're going to talk with the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. We'll look at those April numbers. Also coming up today, we'll talk with the President and CEO of the U.S. Grains Council. Tom Slate will join us. His thoughts on uh, NAFTA and also the possibility of uh, uh, ethanol REN credits for exports and what he sees as the consequences that uh, we could face if that takes it goes into effect. You know, a lot of concern raised about trade retaliation and other issues. So Tom Slate will weigh in on that as well. And then we're hearing more and more about fake meat and, um, you know, labeling of those products. Well, the state of Missouri could soon be the first state to require food marketed as meat to be harvested from an actual animal. We're going to talk about that issue with Eric Bowl. He's director of public affairs for the Missouri Farm Bureau. But first, uh, we're going to talk it over with Todd Neely with DTN. Todd, thanks for joining us. Hey, glad to be here. Lots of stories going on, and it looks like we'll find out later this evening uh, about amendments and maybe some kind of a schedule for the Farm Bill vote this week in the House, so we're watching that very closely. But we are also keeping an eye on this RFS situation, and we are expecting... Uh, either from the White House or the EPA, right, one or the other, some kind of a proposal to be coming out soon. Yeah, you know, it's it's hard to tell at this point. I mean, we're hearing that there may be some sort of a memo going around uh, or will be released here at some point, kind of detailing what the president and the EPA uh, is going to move on. But right now it's really difficult to tell. We're hearing kind of mixed signals about it. Um, you know, there's been talk about the E15 waiver uh, being granted, um, but then we're also hearing that that may be a temporary uh, waiver. So we're not really sure at this point. But I think, um, you know, as we keep watching this, we're going to see. Um, I think we're probably going to see some sort of a rulemaking come out. Now, whether that involves um, the RINs issue or involves E15 or a combination of all those things, I guess that's kind of something that we really don't know at this point. Yeah, up till now we're 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 short on details, right? Absolutely. You know, there's, I mean, there's been plenty of discussion about this, and uh, it, it looks like we're going to see a combination of things happening. Um, but then again, you hear talk about EPA and USDA maybe getting together on this RINs export idea, and uh, you know, looking at its feasibility. Um, I think there's a lot of question as to whether that's even a legal uh, a legal action that EPA could take at this point. Yeah, and I'm not hearing anything from the RFS community or the uh, renewable fuels community, uh, anything positive at all about this REN export <laughs> idea. No, not at all. And, uh, you know, I think the thing that, that people look at on this is they say, you know, if we're going to have an RFS, it's really a domestic program. And I think that's why, um, you know, the thought of allowing exports to contain RENs means that in some way um, – you know, the, the domestic program may be uh, taken apart, essentially, because we're uh, more or less subsidizing ethanol that goes abroad. And uh, I think that's, I think in the end, that's probably an idea that's not going to work out. I think, um, you know, even if EPA goes forward with this, obviously there's going to be legal challenges. And, you know, there's probably going to be legal challenges on E15 as well. So mm-hmm. um, it's definitely an interesting time. But I, I will say that probably this week we're going to know a lot more. Yeah, it's far from over. On the E15 waiver issue, one, how yeah. soon can it get done? And, and it would seem unlikely it'll get done this year. Uh, and two, is it, as you said, is it going to be uh, permanent or more likely, it sounds like, temporary? Yeah, you know, I think at this point it probably would not get done this year. And, and one of the things that I think we kind of lose track in all of this is that, um, you know, the idea of allowing an E15 blend to be sold year-round is a good idea, but we still have uh, states like California and New York where they don't allow E15, um, and also the thought being that, you know, typically when, when these blends are, are made, they're not exactly E15, so, you know, we might have some gallons that have E13, 
Um, so it, it's not really, uh, you know, it's not really a straight math question to where you look at the market and you say we add 5% ethanol and it, uh, you know, it amounts to this much corn demand and ethanol demand. Um, it's really not as cut and dry, and there's still a lot of regulatory things and a lot of other barriers before E15 can really, um, really make a difference in the market. Yesterday we talked with Senator Grassley. Of course, he's very much involved in this issue. Uh, he has, yeah. up till now, said he disagrees with Administrator Pruitt on this issue, but uh, for the most part is still supportive of him. But he's now kind of made some statements uh, basically saying that if this RFS situation doesn't go the way he'd like to see it go, he'll pull his support completely, perhaps, for uh, Administrator Pruitt. Yeah, you know, and that's, if you think about it, uh, Grassley really has been fairly supportive of Pruitt. I mean, he's... Uh, you know, from the beginning of his nomination and so on, I think he was completely behind him. I know there were a lot of questions in the, at the outset uh, with Pruitt's connections to the oil industry and so on. But, um, yeah, we're at a point now for Grassley, I think, that uh, he's saying, you know, come on, what's going on here? I mean, uh, you know, we've got the president who's been largely supportive of biofuels. Uh, seems like he's pressing all the right buttons from his side of it. And then you've got an EPA administrator that hasn't. And so... Yeah, I, I think uh, this particular uh, this particular issue, this proposal that we're talking about, it's really going to probably ultimately determine whether Senator Grassley uh, does continue to support Pruitt. And we wait to see what EPA sets for levels in the RFS, but that's almost now become, I don't want to say a moot point because yeah. it's important, but if you continue to grant waivers, it certainly diminishes uh, those levels that the EPA will announce. Yeah, you know, and I think, uh, you know, anytime you talk about those volumes, it's all, it's obviously important that corn ethanol has its place. Um, but really, when you're talking about RSS and any reform talk and all the things we talk about, uh, it's really the future of, of, you know, advanced biofuels that are really at stake here. I mean, we've seen, you know, this RFS, it was supposed to produce 7 point, you know, 7 point some odd billion gallons of cellulosic ethanol by now. Uh, we're only in the you know the low single digit millions in terms of production, and so um, yeah, while the volumes are important for ethanol, corn ethanol, uh, I think everybody continues to look at those advanced numbers and say you know maybe there's something that should be done with this with this law because uh, it's not exactly forward looking at, at the moment. All right, Todd. Well, we'll be watching uh, for the news and watching your reporting on DTN. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Take care. Todd Neely with DTN. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk with Benjamin Duck with the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. Look at the April sales numbers. April saw some strong sales in the U.S. of self-propelled combines, actually jumping 59% compared to the same month last year. And four-wheel drive tractor sales gained 2% in April, although two-wheel drive tractor sales in April in the 100-plus horsepower category actually dropped 7%. We'll go over all those numbers and uh, just kind of see how they're being analyzed and what they mean as far as a trend always, you know, closely tied with the uh, the farm uh, the ag economy and net farm income. So we'll take a look at all that as we uh, make our way through 2018. We'll review those April numbers and look ahead as we'll talk with Benjamin Duck with the Association of Equipment Manufacturers next on AOA Adams on Agriculture. I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over five million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider, Vermont and New York Banking Departments, Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031. 
We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heartburn, mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a Craftmatic adjustable bed so if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep call now for prices and information and then decide when you see how little they cost discover craftmatic for less up to 50 percent less than today's leading memory foam brand call 1-800-318-7903 that's 1-800-318-7903 1-800-318-7903 call now if you or your family love the freedom of swimming any time of year, if you love sharing good times and making great memories, or if you want one of the best total body workouts ever, then it's time to discover the three C's of your very own endless pool. The first C is convenience. Imagine swimming year-round in your own private swimming pool, installed indoors or out, just steps away. The second C is comfort. With sculpted spa seats and your own adjustable temperature, you can easily escape the stress of your day. And the third C is cost. Your endless pool is an affordable luxury at a fraction of the cost of a regular pool. And here's a bonus C, choice. Because when you call for your free endless pool idea kit, you'll receive information on our full line of pools to suit your budget and location. Call now for your free information, 800-717-0734, 800-717-0734. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And welcome back, and we welcome to Adams on Agriculture, Benjamin Duck, Director of Market Intelligence for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. Benjamin, thanks for joining us. No problem. Great to be here. Well, I want to take a look at the uh, April numbers for farm equipment sales, and there were some positives, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, we're seeing a couple of interesting trends Uh uh, in the four-wheel drive, in the two-wheel drive tractors, less than 40 horsepower and 100, uh, 40 to 100 horsepower, we're kind of seeing 2018 stabilizing uh, compared to 2017. And as we remember from last year, 2017 was quite the uptick from 2016. And this area as a whole has been a, a really positive area uh, during the ag downturn. And then when we look at equipment, that's maybe a little bit more production ag. Uh, the more than 100 horsepower, the four-wheel drive tractors and the self-propelled combines, we're seeing uh, quite the uptick there as well. Yeah, let's kind of break this down a little bit. So in April, we saw U.S. sales of self-propelled combines jump 59% compared to the same month last year, a 21% gain for April year-to-date combine sales. Uh, were you surprised at that strong a number? Uh, well... 58.9%, you're always, you're always a little bit surprised when you see that percentage. But overall, this category has been dragging behind when we look at 2013, 14, uh, 15, 16, and 17. And now we're seeing that uptick. Uh, I think when we, when we ask our members uh, about their perceptions, they're, they're more positive about the market. Um, at the same time, you have tax reform, you have Section 179, you have the uh, bonus depreciation that has been updated. So we're not super surprised uh, that this is finally experiencing an uptick. After all, after a couple of years, uh, farmers still need to replace their equipment, right? So if it's a surprise, we'll call it a pleasant surprise. So now let's go to U.S. Uh, four-wheel drive tractor sales. A 2% increase in April compared to last year with year-to-date April gains of 4% over last year. So um, another not as big a jump, obviously, but still, uh, that's a positive trend. That's absolutely. And uh, when I look at this report, I see those four-wheel drive farm tractors. I see the self-propelled combines. I think of the larger equipment, and I tie it more to production ag. Whereas in the last couple of years, during the ag downturn, we've seen a strong boom in the, uh, the, smaller, in the smaller equipment, less than 40 horsepower, 40 to 100 horsepower. That stuff is generally tied more to 
maybe uh, smaller farms, hobby farmers, uh, the construction industry, which has been booming, uh, overall uh, the livestock industry. So it's, it's very positive to see uh, a shift towards uh, the production ag uh, experiencing upticks. So even though both four-wheel drive farm tractors and self-propelled combine, they're still, they'll st- they're still punching under their five-year averages. Mm-hmm. Now, and you mentioned the smaller tractors, which have been very important to the marketplace these last few years. Uh, two-wheel drive tractors, April sales in the 100-plus horsepower category dropped 7% in April, while 40 to 100-horsepower two-wheel drive tractors gained 7% and very little change in the under 40 horsepower category. How do you break that down? Well, uh, for the two-wheel drive 100 100 horsepower plus, we've been seeing the same trend over the last couple of years. Uh, For less than 40 horsepower and 40 to 100 horsepower, uh, I would have expected those numbers to continue to grow a little bit stronger uh, going into 2018 and, and starting the second quarter of 2018. But they've been doing so well over the last couple of years that stability uh, compared to 2017 is a is definitely a plus. I mean, we're or the U.S. economy is doing pretty good. Uh, we're uh, heading 2018 is, is going pretty strong, but there's still quite a few uncertainties that our manufacturers and farmers as a whole have to deal with. You know, when we think of international trade, we think of the, the tariffs, potential uh, trade wars, retaliation uh, through tra- tariffs that can hit U.S. farmers. But as I said, overall, when we when we survey our membership, uh, they seem pretty positive for 2018. And I think in 2017, we definitely turned the corner on the ag downturn. Yeah, let's look at that bigger picture. We'll pull back here a little bit. Uh, we saw that 2017 was better than 2016. And so definitely. far this year, some positive signs, not all positive. So we'd say, what, it's a little sluggish, but still positive overall at this point. Yeah, that's exactly how I would categorize it. The uh, USDA had a forecast for a farm income. That was a small downtick from 2017, but uh, I would ca- categorize it maybe more as a stabilization of the situation. We're talking with Benjamin Duck with the Association of Equipment Manufacturers looking at the April uh, sales numbers, which had some real positives there. And as we look ahead, you mentioned some of these factors, uh, these trade concerns, Certainly, that makes uh, farmers uh, uneasy. Uh, they're probably feeling a little better now that they've got many of them have their crop in the ground, but they're concerned, of course, about prices. On the other hand, uh, there's always that um, for those that can, for those that are in a position to, there's just that time to replace some uh, older machines, and, and that figures into some of this as well. Absolutely. So when you talk with those uh, members that you mentioned um, about their attitudes and their thoughts moving forward, uh, are they still relatively optimistic? I mean, <laughs> realistically optimistic, maybe we should say, for 2018? Yeah. Uh, you know, when we ask in our quarterly surveys um, about their perception over the last 12 months and looking forward for the next 12 months, uh, uh, a large majority of members seems to indicate that they're, they're optimistic. And if they're not optimistic... Uh, they certainly feel like the industry is stabilizing itself. So, I don't think I don't think there are any concerns, uh, barring any unforeseen circumstances. Have we seen any impact over with steel uh, very much in the news when it comes to tariffs and and trade uh, retaliation things like that? Has that does that how has that impacted the equipment industry? I don't know if we've already seen. Uh, a direct impact, but certainly it's on the minds of people in our industries. Uh, uncertainties that are created by this uh, create uh, vibrations throughout the economy, and just for the farmer, as for the manufacturer, uh, stability is, is everything. Mm-hmm. But yeah. uh, given their overall positive uh, attitude, uh, I think it's more of a, uh, a blimp, on, blimp on the radar. Uh, when we ask our members about tax reform, vast majority are happy on that too so it it's really a, a mixed bag what are we seeing with uh, uh-huh as you talk with members what are they saying about moving used equipment is there a strong market there uh we haven't asked that question uh recently but we do work together with some other associations and we try to keep track of 
uh, the used inventories on the dealership lots, and it appears that uh, whereas that pipeline was stuffed over the last couple of years, manufacturers and dealers have been working to, to clear that pipeline. So mm-hmm. that was a great constraint over the last couple of years during the ag downturn, but we feel that that, uh, this, that problem is being solved. Talking with Benjamin Duck with the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. So, again, just reviewing the numbers from April, strong sales for uh, in the U.S. of self-propelled combines, a big uh, 59% jump, and uh, four-wheel drive tractor sales gaining 2% in April, two-wheel drive tractors, April sales in the 100-plus horsepower category actually dropped 7%, while 40 to 100-horsepower two-wheel drive tractors gained 7%. Total April year-to-date sales for two-wheel drive tractors remain relatively flat. Is that right, Benjamin? Yeah, and I, I think it's important when we look at these numbers that we look at the, the larger pictures. Uh, sometimes we can have a large year-over-year drop because it's comparing to the exact same month of last year. I think the year-to-date numbers are more indicative of uh, what is going on so far because um, if you take in consideration seasonalities, um, for example, large large shipments might be happening in uh, May as opposed to April for one year, and then the year over year shows a a big drop. Even though, when we look at the larger pictures, things are still on track. These are U.S. sales numbers. Do we have any numbers as far as uh, uh, sales to other countries? Yeah, those are available on our website. We also track them for. Uh, Canada. Are they trending about the same? Uh, yeah, I would say so. I, I, I don't think there's there's uh, any major differences. Uh, when we look at the Canadian reports, less than 40 horsepower, 40 to 100 horsepower uh, year to date uh, are positive. A difference there is that the two-wheel drive 100 horsepower plus category has increased 15% year to date already, uh, while uh, self-propelled combines and four-wheel drive tractors have decreased uh, five to seven percent year to date. So, it's it's not completely in line with the United States, but overall the larger trends are fairly similar. Interesting numbers, and they certainly do give us a, a good snapshot of where we're at with the ag economy. A lot of things are interrelated here when it comes to these uh, numbers, but uh, always interesting to to watch them and uh, see what direction they're headed. Benjamin, thank you for being with us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Benjamin Duck, Director of Market Intelligence for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers, joining us here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be no matter how urban or rural you must always call 811 before any digging project 811 is our national one call number alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site you must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities this includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this, or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. Time for a market check. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. In the grain and oil seed sector, we have worked back into a mix with corn futures trying to inch higher, soybeans and wheat struggling a bit. Farmers said to be making rapid planting progress with USDA saying that soybean seeding 35% complete as of Sunday. That's above the five-year average. Corn planting at 62%, getting back in line with the recent average. July corn edged lower on Monday. The near-term trend said to be weak. That July contract trading below its 10-day, 20-day moving averages yesterday, a short-term bearish sign. We did test and hold, though, 40-day moving average support on Monday at 394, trading a couple of cents above that. 
an hour into Tuesday's trading session. In the weather forecast, scattered showers and thunderstorms in the Midwest will cause some planting disruptions, but will also maintain very favorable soil moisture for developing crops. Meanwhile, hot and dry weather said to be depleting soil moisture for planting and developing soybeans in the Delta and the southeast states. Meanwhile, better planting weather in the northern plains for soybeans. Soybean futures July down eight and a quarter an hour into the day at 10.09 and a half. The 10-day moving average seen at 10.27 and a quarter entering today's session. In the wheats, Chicago trending four and a fraction lower, six to seven lower Kansas City, penny and a fraction lower in Minneapolis spring wheat. Livestock at the Merck and live cattle futures were $1.15 to $1.65 lower, $1.20 to $1.70 lower in feeder cattle, and $1.42 to $1.67 lower in lean hog futures. Outside markets on Wall Street, the Dow is down 180 points, crude down 31 cents. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is Mobile Help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with Mobile Help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I press the button, and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile Help did save my life. No question about that. Call Mobile Help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your plan purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And welcome back. You know, what's in a name? Well, a lot when it comes to food, certainly. We've seen the issue in the dairy industry. Dairy producers very concerned about plant-based drinks using the names milk and dairy. And we're seeing it in meat as well as we've come up with these uh, different uh, forms of meat, fake meat, many are calling them. And um, the 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 meat industry very concerned about how these um, these products are marketed and what uh, perception consumers have of them and concerned about consumer confusion in the marketplace quite frankly well Missouri may soon become the first state to require food marketed as meat to actually be harvested from an actual animal uh, we're going to talk about that with Eric Bull, Director of Public Affairs for the Missouri Farm Bureau. Eric, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Mike. It's great to talk to you. Well, this is quite an issue, and uh, so Missouri is trying to get out in front on this, and we'll talk about uh, Missouri's history in this issue in a, in a bit. But tell us about uh, what is being worked on as far as legislation. Sure. So uh, just over the past couple of weeks, the Missouri legislature, which uh, has a hard deadline, of this week to get all their work wrapped up for the year constitutional deadline. Uh, they've been working towards getting a ag omnibus bill, and just one line in that bill talks about um, defining meat as a product that is derived from a harvested, harvested production livestock animal or poultry. And that, you know, as you would, you and I would recognize that that's a pretty traditional definition of meat. Um, but that raised a lot of. Uh, lot of eyebrows, I guess, as some people in the industry that are trying to produce plant-based products or cultured meat products uh, from a lab uh, would like to be able to use some of that terminology to try to sell their products. And so this was the first state in, in the nation, uh, Missouri was, to try to put a, a specific definition of meat. And the Missouri House has passed it. The Senate is still working on that bill, but we do anticipate them passing that before this weekend now when we look at this issue um you know foods grown from beef cells in a petri dish basically there's still a ways away from from grocery stores but uh, it's it seems to be gaining some momentum there's more publicity about it so is missouri just trying to get out in front on this issue 
yeah, you know, we we definitely think that it is going to be a while. I think that the latest um, report was that the the industry leader in that cultured meat um, category, Memphis Meats, uh, is the name of the company. They said that it would cost them about $18,000 a pound to produce what they're making right now, which is a little bit excessive, but they're working hard on bringing that money or that amount down. They have a lot of Silicon Valley backers, actually, who are pouring a lot of money into their research. Uh, so we do think that that is going to happen quickly um, as as their technology um, gets more efficient and effective. So, yeah, I believe that the Missouri legislature just wanted to make sure that uh, consumers knew what they were getting when they go to the grocery store, whether it be a plant-based product or it is a an actual cultured product that it, it probably will be hitting store shelves over the next five to ten years. And that's what we're talking about here, right? Transparency. Uh, we talk so much today about consumers wanting to know more about their food, and so that's what uh, we're talking about here, making sure that uh, consumers understand uh, what product they're buying, where it comes from. Absolutely. And, you know, the, especially with these plant-based products that are in stores today, those are being produced by farmers as well. This is not an anti-product um, anything. This is uh, for the the clarity for the consumer knowing what they're purchasing. You, you We want them to know that if, if you buy something that says meat or says burger on it, it ought to be um, something that you know what it is, that it came from an animal. That's what that that word has always meant. And we don't want people to uh, have to wonder what they're bringing home and feeding their family. We're talking with Eric Bull, Director of Public Affairs for the Missouri Farm Bureau. Eric, for those of us, um, shall I say, a little older, I guess we shake our heads and say, how can this be an issue? But uh, certainly, whether it's in dairy or or in meat, uh, and we think about... uh, young uh, consumers and uh, they look at things differently and the, with all the choices that are available to them i mean that's why this is an important issue well, absolutely and there's nothing at all wrong with innovation and i think farmers are very uh open to innovation on the cutting edge of uh of really moving forward in technology where we actually love to implement new ways of doing things and find new products and new ways to market the, the work that we do. Um, but we also need to have clarity along the way so that we're not uh, providing confusing products to the marketplace that could ultimately hurt our industry. It, and we do think that having products uh, that are derived from plants uh, that can uh, can be palatable to the consumer, that's a great thing too. But you don't want to cause confusion and denigrate other products in the process of marketing your own new product. And interesting that the state of Missouri uh, may be the first to pass some uh, legislation on this because uh, your state has some history with this uh, type of product, right? Yeah, that that is right. You know, it was interesting. I was kind of looking into this over the past couple of weeks as uh, the Missouri legislature was working on their bill and just doing some research uh, on the the plant-based burgers that are really becoming popular in some segments. And uh, I started Googling it a little bit and realized, you know, the actual product was invented in the town I live in, Columbia, Missouri, which is just up the road from the state capital, Jefferson City, 30 miles away. The University of Missouri researchers there who are very innovative and on the cutting edge of uh, plant food, uh, food science technology, came up with the, the pea-based proteins that have gone into the burger uh, product called Beyond Meat, the Beyond Burger is what they're calling it, um, and it's 100% plant-based. It has some beet juice in it so that when you cook it uh, and cut it, it looks like it's bleeding like you would a, a normal burger, um, and they're actually then still produced at a factory in Columbia, Missouri. I just thought that must be a mistake, but the more I looked into it, that's absolutely right. It's uh, about five miles from my house is where they make these burgers. Now, a lot of the issue comes down to uh, marketing and even uh, place in the meat case in supermarkets. I mean, that's that's quite a battle, too. Sure. That was actually something that really has caught um, some people's attention over the past couple of weeks is that um, Beyond Meat, the company that makes what they call the Beyond Burger with these plant-based proteins, they have um, 
have only allowed uh, grocery stores to carry their product if they promise to put it in the meat cooler, in the meat section, and they will not allow it to be put in an organic section or a health food section or the general um, cooler or freezer section, it must be in the meat section. And that's something that we feel may be a little bit misleading as well because the big sign above the um, cooler when you go to pick up some hamburgers says meat. Well, this is not meat. It's a meat imitation. Um, and that can be misleading to the consumer the way they're uh, forcing their product to be displayed. And while I understand why they want to do it, this is where I find the hypocrisy for both uh, these uh, these. Uh, imitation meat products as well as these plant-based drinks that want to use dairy and milk in their in their name and in their marketing obviously they see a value to the name meat or the name milk or the name dairy and they want to use that even though uh, their whole purpose supposedly is to be an alternative to those yet they want to capitalize on the value of those uh, names and those and those uh, reputations <laughs> that is true that is a really interesting aspect of this and you know, the, the industries, the meat industry, the dairy industry have spent years, you know, decades, centuries even, um, building consumer confidence in what they produce. And um, a lot of what's kind of ironic is some of the companies, some of the people who are in support of these products have spent years doing the opposite, trying to bring down those industries. But now they're trying to really piggyback off the, the brand, um, the loyalty to those product names. Um, to try to sell their new alternatives. And again, we're all for innovation, have no problem with bringing up new products to the marketplace, but you ought to have, have your own name for it that um, clearly identifies that it is not uh, one of the pre-existing products that you're trying to imitate. But it's rather a, a new product um, that you're trying to get consumers to want to buy. So let's circle back to where we started, where you're at in Missouri as far as the legislation is concerned. Kind of take us through this uh, timeline again, where you're at. Sure. So the House of Representatives passed the bill a week or two ago, and now it is over in the Senate. Um, you know, as, as with any legislature, there's all sorts of um, personal squabbles and um, back and forth trying to make sure that things get done before the end of the session, before that deadline hits. So 6 p.m. on Friday, this Friday, will be the drop-dead deadline. If, if the bill isn't passed by then, it's not going to happen this year, and it'll have to wait until next year. So we'll just keep an eye on how things progress over in the Senate. Uh, if it does pass there, then it will be sent to the governor's desk for signature. Of course, Missouri's governor is uh, having a little bit of a challenge himself, so that's been um, making it a little bit difficult to see what bills are going to get signed and which ones aren't, because um, he's been... Uh, under an indictment for a, a, a felony. So that case is being uh, is actually throwing yet another wrench into our political process this year. But that's where we stand right now, and uh, I think that there there is a very solid chance that this bill will become law this year, though. Well, we'll see how it plays out and see whether Missouri becomes the first state to require food marketed as, as meat to be harvested from an actual animal. I would imagine, Eric, other states will be watching this pretty closely as well. We'll see if any of them well, follow, up, follow up. That is for sure. It's going to set a, a precedent that's going to definitely become big across the country. I would think so. All right, Eric, thanks for being with us. Very interesting. Appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. Eric Boll, Director of Public Affairs for the Missouri Farm Bureau. All right, we're going to talk trade next with Tom Slate, President and CEO of the U.S. Grains Council. Stay with us. This is AOA Adams on Agriculture. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this, 
or this. Make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day. Because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. All right, guys. We're ready for our four-season sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no. We'll be sleeping under the stairs. Stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym. My gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her Four Seasons garden room. Weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait. A family hub. Yeah. No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. More reasons for four seasons now. To find out more, call toll-free 800-988-4477. That's 800-988-4477. Call 800-988-4477 today. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of my pillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat. I would flip-flop all night long. I'd wake up with a sore neck or maybe a headache, or I'd feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. Well, when I invented my pillow, I wanted it so you could adjust the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual, regardless of sleep position. My pillow will get you into that deep REM sleep faster, and you will stay there longer. It's not how much time we spend in bed. It's how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all my own manufacturing in my home state of Minnesota with a 10-year warranty and you can wash and dry my pillow and here's my best offer ever get four my pillows for the price of one that's right get four my pillows two premium pillows and two travel pillows for the price of one order my pillow at 800-871-7280 and use promo code farm 11 get four my pillows for the price of one call 800-871-7280 and use promo code farm 11 go to mypillow.com and at checkout use promo code farm 11 reason number 12 why you should own a thermospas hot tub they require no attachment to your home's plumbing Thanks to the Thermospa's unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospa's hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with models starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing. information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Hey, welcome back. Let's talk some trade with Tom Slate, President and CEO of the U.S. Grains Council. Tom, how are you? Mike, I'm great. How are you? Good, good. Let's talk about NAFTA. Um, It doesn't sound good at getting it done this week with the so-called deadline that Speaker Ryan had set. But uh, we've heard others say, but that doesn't mean it won't get done this year. What are you hearing on NAFTA? Well, I, I think it's in, in sync, Mike, with what you're hearing. I, you know, I think it's kind of a sport right now in Washington, D.C., to sort of uh, 
read the tea leaves about what's going on with the negotiation because there's, there's not a whole lot of information coming out on it. Uh, so, again, we have this sort of, you know, deadline, quote-unquote, coming up on, on uh, May 17th, which what, Thursday? Uh, you know, there's, uh, you know, some people say that's a hard deadline. Some people say, no, it's not. Uh, I, I'm kind of in the latter camp. Basically, what I think that uh, to look through from our point of view is that you, we keep hearing pretty consistently that the problem right now with NAFTA lies with the negotiations with Canada. And I see it as a good sign that the president actually talked to um, uh, Premier Trudeau yesterday. Uh, I think that I saw that as a really good sign because, again, I, what we keep on hearing is that the, the real sticking points are with Canada. And if the president is talking to uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, that's a good thing. Let's look at Mexico. How are our sales to Mexico being impacted, or are they uh, through these negotiations? Well, the last two months, Mike, we are doing really well. Uh, we've, we've gotten back to 100% market share. I mean, it's sort of a general thing we see around the world, Mike, is that you know, U.S. Uh, corn is very competitive right now, and uh, we are doing very well with sales to, to Mexico. Uh, and so that's good. That's real good news. I think one thing I would say that we're spending a lot of time on in Mexico, in the Mexican market, is looking a little bit harder into what the political changes might be with the uh, uh, the, 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 the front runner there, uh, Mr. Obrador, AMLO, he's called. Um, I think we're, our staff down there is spending a lot of time looking at what potential changes we might see uh, if that comes to pass later this summer. And as the talks continue with China, the tensions are still there. What impact are we seeing on the ground with China? Well, for us, it's it's, it's sort of status quo. Uh, every product that, that I work with is shut out of that market. Uh, sorghum, corn, uh, DDGs, uh, ethanol. Uh, there, there's, there's, there's tariffs or, or trade barriers on all of them. And uh, a lot of companies right now are, are kind of evaluating, do we really want to take on the risk of shipping product into China? Even though, even like, for instance, with ethanol, we are competitive with a 45% tariff, oddly enough. So uh, we're shut out of China. We're watching it really closely. Uh, we're talking to a lot of folks in the uh, administration about China. It's a constant subject of conversation. Uh, there's still potential there, but for everything that I work with, we're shut out. You mentioned ethanol, and out of all this RFS debate comes this now this uh, possibility of uh, of export RINs, and a lot of people in the renewable fuels industry have great concerns about this. How do you feel about it? Yeah, we do, too. We have great concerns because um, uh, we've had a lot of experience, uh, sad to say, with anti-dumping and countervailing duty investigations uh, for us on DDGs and then most recently on sorghum. Uh, export RINs, we think, are countervailable, which means that they're going to be viewed as a, as a subsidy by uh, by international um, you know uh, buyers by international countries, uh, we've already actually been asked by two two key uh, markets right now, Canada and Brazil. Uh, was this your idea? And uh, you know, basically, we say no. We're concerned about it, and so we're spending a lot of time uh, studying this thing. Uh, if export rins are put in place, would they be quote unquote countervailable? Meaning, could countries take action against? Uh, U.S. ethanol based on a perceived subsidy, which uh, we are really concerned about. I know our friends at RFA have done some really good work on this. Um, we're doing a lot more work on it, too. Uh, that the, Not only would the export RINs come into play, but you could start opening up other programs like crop insurance and, and so forth. You can come into a play on a potential, um, you know, a countervailable duty, you know, countervailable meaning anti-subsidy duty. So we wait for details uh, on that proposal, but obviously already getting the attention of uh, customers around the world. Tom, before we let you go, also uh, on perhaps a more positive note, I guess, so we're hearing that the administration uh, may be moving towards getting something worked out or working on a, some kind of a trade deal with Japan. Yeah, there, there's, you know, keeps coming up. I think that uh, it's clear that Japan is the number one free trade agreement uh, target for a new free trade agreement. Uh, I think you have to, again, look at the other side of the ocean on this one, too. There are some political uh, headwinds going on in Japan right now with the Abe administration. 
That could be a positive for an FTA. It could be uh, something that may be a negative for an FTA. I think the fact that we're looking at it, Japan's an incredibly important market to us. So, yeah, it's a good sign that we're looking at that and engaging with the Japanese on it. Although watch watch Japanese uh, politics very carefully over the next uh, few several months. What about India? Well, we, we talk a lot about India. We just had a, a group back from India. Uh, I think we're making progress there. Uh, we've got some key barriers. It's still an excellent market for uh, industrial ethanol. And I think we've engaged the Indians on how we can help how trade and how we can help them in general meet their they have a mandate for E ten in India and they're not they're not they're not achieving it. They're coming maybe E four point five, four point six, um, but they, they they need to make progress towards this E ten mandate. Uh, they're interested we're talking to them about it. That plus we're also talking to them about access on DDGs, which brings into the biotech question. And we're actually making some progress there. But we're giving India a lot of attention. Um, uh, for various reasons, uh, again, like some of the problems we're having in China, kind of getting more busy in India. A lot happening on the trade front around the world, and uh, we always appreciate your time, Tom, for bringing us up to date, keeping us up to date on these issues. Thank you very much. Thanks for your interest, Mike. Appreciate it. Take care. President and CEO of the U.S. Grains Council, Tom Slate. So some interesting comments there. They're already hearing from Canada and Brazil about uh, this uh potential ethanol REN export idea that we're still waiting for uh, details on if, if indeed it does come about so that's catching people's attention around the world and uh, interesting uh, his thoughts on India too and moving more ethanol into there as well as uh, some hurdles yet but the, the potential of a Japanese trade agreement lots going on in the trade front lots going on overall we'll keep you up to date on AOA Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. We're proud of our new affiliates. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network.